what's in the news now about mental health, which we always comment on current events, is uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry um, have revealed a number of things. We're not going to talk about racism, but Meghan Markle has revealed that she was deeply depressed and contemplating suicide. And that's created a stream, a steady stream of comments everywhere. Mm. I mean, I get emails like this. Um, Meghan Markle and Michelle Obama share their truth. Whether or not you heard in, tuned in, no doubt you've heard about Oprah's interview with Meghan Markle this week. She bravely shared her struggle with suicidal thoughts. And they're announcing how important it is for people to share their suicidal thoughts. Right, we'll, right. We'll get into that. What do you think they're advertising? You don't get emails, you know, from for the common good. What do you think mm -hmm. they're advertising? Yeah, I know. Well, if there's if there's something being really advertised, it's well, you gotta get mental health treatment. And it's right. always it's always a story like, oh, it's people aren't upfront enough about their problems. So we need to reduce stigma by telling them that they have something they need treatment for. It's kind of a loop. But I don't know if you remember Kate Spade a couple of years back now mm. committed suicide. And that was the strangest event because there was she separated from her husband. And there was a sort of an onslaught against him. What the hell's the matter with him that he didn't get his wife treatment? So he had to respond with the strangest public relations release. He had to say, uh, my ex-wife or my separated wife had been in uh, psychiatric treatment for five years and yeah. she was receiving anti-anxiety and anti-depression pills. I, it, he had to defend himself against the idea what the hell's the matter with him that he didn't get psychiatric treatment? Um, at that time, a man named Benedict Carey, who writes for New York Times, he's sort of a secret sharer of mine. I mean, I might have corresponded with him a couple of times. He said he noted a strange paradox. Since the late 1990s, suicide has steeply increased in the United States, about 35%. And during that period, the number of people who are on full-time extended antidepressant therapy has tripled. What can explain that paradox? So there's two, meanwhile, there's a series of articles in the New York Times, which I'll try to summarize. The first article is about, you know, um, Meghan Markle. And when you slip to the second slide, what does it tell you to do? They're obligated almost, it must be a law. What do they tell you to do if you're depressed or has suicidal thoughts. Seek treatment, take meds, don't stop taking meds. Call an 800 uh, number oh, right. as well. Suicide prevention hotline, yeah, right. So how do you respond to the idea that somebody who's <clears throat> contemplating suicide should call an 800 number? You know, it's funny. I was having this conversation with a client recently who was talking about a mode of therapy that he has a therapist who said, well, just study this mode of therapy and you should be able to be okay after you understand it. And he was describing a block that he was having like, well, yeah, I can understand like dialectical kind of therapy, but I need to get motivated to care enough to understand it. And that's the same th reaction I have to something like that is like, if you're someone who's on, who's contemplating suicide, is it really connecting people 
with something worth living for to call an 800 number? Is it really in a person's comfort zone or a motivator to call an 800 number? Or is there something that we're missing? Is it really going to of impact? Is calling an 800 number really resolve mm -hmm. what drives people? I mean, would it have resolved Meghan Markle's problems? Right. Even, I mean, if it, even if it works in the moment, let's say that a person talks, talks this guy down. Uh, then what you know does do all the rest of the underlying problems go away which i'm sure is what you're leading and so the cdc actually lists uh, how to, the cdc has a sec a, uh, a section on suicide it says something remarkable the majority of people who commit suicide are not clinically depressed mm -hmm. and they recommend a couple of that people how do you address suicide um they don't list calling an 800 number but two of the things they list are dealing directly with financial problems. So let me, uh, by the way, I we should make two disclosures. One is we provide an online treatment service. I, we, we don't advertise suicide prevention. And rather, as opposed to being, we're not an 800 number, we get involved in people's lives in a way of reorienting their lives. Right. Um, which would include finances. And includes marital problems. So um, there were two articles, and the other disclosure I have to make I only had one sibling and he committed suicide. And when I read the CDC list, right at the top of its recommendations addressing financial problems, my brother committed suicide. He, he was married, and uh, I, I know his. I, I know his ex-wife is a widow and they had a good relationship. He was desperate around financial problems, he, even though uh, my sister-in-law has ext an extremely wealthy son who helped her buy a new house. So there was a way out of that other than the way that my brother took. The New York Times had um, an article about you know, what did Meghan Markle say? And the second slide said, call an 800 number hotline. The second article was by that old devil, Benedict Carey. I'll get back to his article. The third article was, does relieving um, uh, obligations for student debt or controlling rent reduce suicide? which is sort of a funny heading for an article. What? I mean, if you're American, you're thinking, um, what's that got to do with anything? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes, the data show that, uh, and so this man, the author of this article was proposing minimal, minimum payments to every American, which is an idea that's coming up now as an actual suicide prevention technique, which seems so strange to us. Let me, let me flip to one more. I gave you the data on suicides increasing 35% since the late 90s, tripled the number of people on long-term antidepressants. Um, the Commonwealth Fund did a study. It was uh, released at the beginning of last year. It compared the United States to 10 other advanced uh, economic countries. We spend by far the most on healthcare, 50% more than the next one in line and almost twice as much as others. And the countries are like the UK, France, Canada, and we have the highest suicide rate. So 
you know, I'm going to make a startling, bold, bold declaration. The United States is in the middle of a long-term, a half a century experiment. And the experiment it involved declaring mental illness as a disease that should be addressed medically. And the results are calamitous. Uh, um, another piece of big data is um, the global burden of health. List the United States at the bottom of, the, of 196 countries, number four in anxiety, number six in depression, number two worst off mental health altogether. Our experiment is, can you deconstruct communities? Can you reduce human intimacy and export care for mental health in such a way that people will be happier, less depressed, less anxious, and less prone to suicide? And we've definitively proved that the answer to that question is no. We're the sine qua non of uh, the data to show that, but we're embarked, I often think of the lemmings rushing into the sea. That's our response. We're obligated to make that response. So we have to flash, call an 800 number and go to see a psychiatrist. And one more complication. I mean, Meghan Markle claimed that the royal family discouraged her from seeking mental health aid. That's, we're not coming from there. We provide mental health aid, A. And B, that's just a human right. If mm -hmm. Meghan Markle felt that seeing a professional would be helpful to her or talking to somebody outside the family, that's her right. And she should certainly have been given that right. How many of those but, kinds of emails do you get all the time? That's like you talk about AA and someone says, well, AA worked for me, you bastard. So why are you saying this? It's like, well, that's a completely different realm. But we are complete advocates for the right to decide what to do with one's life. Uh, but when, a, when it comes to giving a practical analysis of what's working and what's not, uh, what can you do? You have to tell the truth. It's a, you and I are not religious people, but if somebody says I went to church or a synagogue and I felt a great, and you know, they come from that tradition and they felt a great relief, you and I would say, God bless you. Yeah. Hallelujah. <laughs> We're happy for you. However, our job my job and yours is to look at the larger epidemiological picture. It said that you're gonna, you wanted to come back to uh, Ben Carey's article. And by the way, we do have a chapter in our book devoted to this and we tie it into it. We do. And, and we do in our growing addiction, we talk about the, the issue of professionalization of mental health services, which every, who could be against that? And then we point out how it, uh, the CDC's recommendations are, well, address financial problems. Number, that seems to be, well, go surprise. Yeah. That's a big thing. And number two, it's to seek a genuine communal and community. So, so Ben Carey writes these articles, and every time he blasts an article out, I think, this is still allowed in the New York Times. This is like, this is gold. Like you, you sent me one recently, and you said, I almost marveled at the title because it was so common sense, and then I saw oh, Ben Carey. Well, it, it gets directly into... He says, is Meghan Markle an example of trauma? And I said, when I read the headline, I said, 
Well, I thought it's going to be a trauma article. Right, right. So and then know. the subheading was, uh, it, it, trauma is when a person suffers a severe shock and is incapable of responding to a situation. And I said, wait a second. This person is going to say that Meghan Markle wasn't traumatized. She's almost an example. And then I said, oh, it's Benedict Carey, for God's yeah. sake. <laughs> We're getting that along with, uh, you know, helping people with uh, a, a guaranteed basic income. All, all of a sudden, we're talking common sense. How did Meghan Markle, I think Meghan Markle, God bless her, didn't commit suicide. Yeah. She looks to be a highly contented, you know, who knows what's on her mind, person and what did she, she did two major things. What would you say those two major things were in the aftermath of her deep depression? I'm trying Some to think of them, where you're going with it. Well, she did yeah. her, she did something really, really big. Her like, and, her and coming Harry, out to Oprah? <laughs> her, no, her and Harry quit being royals and moved to the oh. United States. That's big. Bigger than Oprah? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, yes, of course. It's, it's almost like they fled a cult, right? So it's like... The well, they fled a cult, or we, we talked to Aaron Ferguson, our co colleague at, mm -hmm. uh, at the, uh, our Life Process program. She, she addressed her problems. Mm -hmm. In other words, she was deeply depressed for whatever reasons. We're not here to debate the royal family in the UK, but that wasn't working for yeah, her. Yeah. And so what did she do? She... Talk with her husband, let, got a new gig. And, you know, we could sort of say, you know, not everybody can get millions of dollars yeah. for quitting being a... So the whole situation's outside of our realm of experience. Nonetheless, the basic model of what she did was she addressed her infeasible situation. <clears throat> That's so commonsensical, so practical... It's almost like uh, people could turn off our uh, podcast and say, well, you're just talking about stupid, straight common sense. If you're in a bad situation, do all that you can do to remedy it. And so Carrie points out, well, that's not a traumatized reaction. A trauma, when you're in, it, you, trauma used to mean you were in a car accident and you were in shock and you couldn't act appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, she was depressed. When you're depressed, that's a sign that your situation's not working out. And so she changed her situation. The second thing she did was when, and I think we were approaching it when we were talking about calling an 800 number. Uh, there's an article that we, I think we include in uh, Outgrowing where the, the psychiatry department at the University of California, San Diego had an alarming, remarkable, more than a dozen suicides over a 10 year period. And so how, what did they do? And it does involve communication, getting back to the recommendation that you express yourself. They created a more conscious and communal uh, faculty involvement. So that when there's a difference between when you admit that you're not feeling well, what do you do with that information? Well, if you call an 800 number, it's like whistling in the wind. What if there was some kind of a way of communicating and, you know, the University of San Diego Psychiatric Psychiatry Department is a thing. It's a group of people who meets regularly and, and, and copes with one another. Let's just say in general, 
um, suicide prevention is more than uh, I'm just re suicide prevention is more than talking somebody out of taking their life. This comes from our book. Um, UC San Diego School of Medicine, where she was first a resident, later a professor of psychiatry and assistant dean. In a span of 15 years, 13 physicians, most of them on the faculty of an academic medical center, took their lives. Through a depression awareness and suicide prevention program, she helped lead, quote, this is italicized, the community experienced a shift toward being there for and helping one another, she said. The entire culture changed. I mean, it almost makes me cry. They had a community. I mean, it's an organization. It's a medical school. They specifically organized themselves around the idea of being supportive of one another so that when people talked about bad feelings, they were talking about it to people that they knew and who cared and who could help them through that experience. We have two different distinct models. One is that it's really hard to if you have if your mind's not trending in that direction it's really hard when you're a group of people to know how to be there for others it's really hard if you're a person to, to know how to be there for others or when it's your job or when it's not so giving it off to a medical professional who promises that that's their bailiwick and you know will take care of it that's easy and you know what a load off that's distinguished from actually creating a system where the main goal is human connection and making sure that you're there listening and being there so that people have a community to contextualize themselves in. You really put that well. And if we were going to give anybody, any human being listening to this podcast or watching this podcast advice, if somebody comes to you and says, you know, I'm very, very depressed, or maybe I've even had suicidal thoughts, I, you're now conditioned to panic and to say, oh, you should call an 800 number, some right. psychiatrist. What's the best actual human thing you can do if it's a person you care about and you're friends with? What would, what's the best actual thing you can do? I would reflect that and see what's going on in that person's life. And so crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's a what, little bit like your work with children. Well, I'll just be here for that person and ask them to express what they're feeling, which isn't working well for them at this moment. And just let them express it and maybe I can help them winnow through those experiences in a positive way. And that doesn't mean saying, oh, it's going to be all right. Or, you know, like, well, you're going to make money or your marital problems will go away. That's, that's not what it's about. It's about sorting through the problems and coming to your best response possible. You know, one Which other is, thing I, man, I don't know if I can... Well, okay, Throw it I, out I'll, there. I'll, I'll remove. I'll remove the the identifying features. But there was a colleague of mine. And this is we were working with a high school kid who he was sitting in a room with me and the, the student, and he asked the student, "Well, what are you going to do about so and so problem?" And he said, "Buy a gun, put bullets in it, and blow my head off." I think that's what I need to do. And so he was getting ready to call the Department of Children. Uh, you know child services and i responded so it was something like um you got so much competing for your attention it would just feel better to end all of it it's like yeah and we sat there and sat there 
And I said, I'm glad that you haven't done that. He said, yeah. And I said, and you haven't because, and then he responded. He said, well, I mean, I guess my brother, it's possible that, you know, it would be worth more worth it to live for my brother than not. I'm not sure about that. And so that was a thread that I got from him just by, I mean, I think there were like maybe a total of 10 to 15 words that I spoke to him and sat there in silence. And that moment turned around. And I think what we were legally supposed to do was because he uttered those words to call an 800 number. And I still remember thinking, I think I did the wrong thing legally. So I'm telling on myself now, uh, but I think I did the right thing practically. And my colleague completely agreed with me that we did the right thing practically because he pulled himself out of that conversation. I was thinking, what if you just sent him down a road that labeled him because of that utterance that was just coming from a place of overwhelm uh, rather than just dealing with them. So I think there's two things you can, I mean, one, you have a serious suicidal ideation happening and you can't go wrong just trying to let that person know you're connected to them, care about them and, you know, whatever we can do to build up your life, let's see if we can do it. But then on the other hand, it might be a person who's just overwhelmed and maybe isn't serious about it, but maybe it's something like iatrogenic that could happen if you respond as though the person's serious and medicalize them. I don't think those two situations are different. I mean, mm. you should take that little clip of you interacting with that student. And uh, I mean, that in a nutshell, it's a very practical way of describing an alternative to calling, well, call an 800 number, which is sort of wiping your hands, washing yeah. your hands, yeah. or referring to a psychiatrist, which, as you point out, you might be, in some sense, legally obligated to do, especially if there's a negative outcome. So where did you get the guts to do that, Zach, in your life? Where did you get the non-panic button to be able to just sit there an extra couple of minutes and you just wanna, you know, listen you to them? We could really weave the two concepts together now because I don't know what trauma means exactly. I don't know what's the line between trauma or something else. But when people talk about adverse events, I've had several of them and I've encountered people and my, you know, I did have a heroin career for a while, which is not inherently, uh, doesn't have to be inherently bad. But of course, you know, the way the market is, that's that drove me to be around people who sort of were living in destruction. And I just, uh, there's something about that perspective that I've taken about human life that just, I'm, I think I'm incapable of doing the opposite of whatever that approach is. That's, you know, my, uh, I'm, I'm publishing my memoir and um, my personal, I had a very excitable father, a very anxious father. And he reacted to everything in the most extreme way possible. And what I learned from my mother was that wasn't the way to go. So I'm a person, and it comes in handy if you're in the line of work that we're in. I don't re overreact to traumatic things that people tell me. I'm, letting, I'm willing to hear them out. I certainly don't, you know, vituperate against them or say you're, I certainly don't say you're bad or crazy. I, and I've heard, you know, I can't even tell you some of the things I've heard that people have told me. And, you know, I just say, uh-huh. 
well, let's talk it through. And part of what harm reduction is about, and that's, it's a risky business. You may be dealing with a person who's dealing with substances that have potential downsides. And you can say, well, go to rehab. You can call the police for God's sake. Or you can say, well, is there any way that I can work with you in such a fashion as to help you minimize the worst downsides, starting with death? Yeah. Overdosing or, well, not, you know, badly mixing drugs or driving or being out of the house or being sexually assaulted. Can we lower the heat, the steam on your situation? And, you know, some people have asked before about, well, what do you do now that person leaves that situation? And if you're not convinced that... You, I mean, maybe you were supposed to do something that you're liable for, and then he leaves, and then something happens. Um, my my whole plan always has has been like you can figure out something from that conversation that even if you need to send that problem, some a part of that problem to an external source. Like if I needed to talk to a guidance counselor, let's say we figured out that there's a financial issues, I can then send it to a guidance counselor for financial issues who can help him with that. So no one has to be any of the wiser that he had these sort of ideations or, you know, such extreme language around trying to explain the feeling that he was in. So that's my... You can connect him up with actual help. Right. So no Um, one has to worry then. He doesn't have to worry that he's going to get some... He's going to be funneled into a system or something like that. So You know, in a way, I... you. Uh, 10 years ago, when I started the life process program, or eight years ago, I had to write something for the fix called Can Online Therapy Work? That is so far in the rearview mirror. Now everything's online. But from the start, I thought there were advantages to online therapy. First of all, it's easy. Somebody doesn't have to drive, you know, 55 minutes to another part of the city, sit in a waiting room and talk to somebody. You know, they can't call at any moment. We schedule appointments. We have a roster. But the second thing about it is, um, you know, they're not driving to you. You're in a situation where they can be relatively relaxed in their home. You're not in some kind of, if somebody's driven all the way to your place and they're talking to you about some extreme situation, it's sort of already traumatic. If they're in their home, you can deal with them in a relaxed fashion. They're sitting near their dog or on their favorite sofa. Um, it hasn't reached emergency proportions. And in a way, it's, I think, more amenable to a normal common sense conversation with the person. There's something about it mm. that's just lower key. Um, that As opposed to being, uh, being in a therapist all of a sitting around while somebody else comes out, I'm already tense. My blood pressure, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. already tense. So, yeah. you know... I commit, I don't know, to some extent, it's your natural style to do that. That's how you've always worked with children. I I don't know to what extent you were trained that way. Um, To some extent, it just comes out of my personal experience of not getting alarmed at things. That's just my natural response to things. But that's an alternative to like, ringing the alarm bells saying oh my god throwing the person you know essentially they're talking to you for some reason and you've now told them well we're going to dispense with that throw you out to some call an 800 number to talk to somebody who knows nothing about you Mm -hmm. and has a limited amount of time 
or we're going to send you to some psychiatrist who also neither of us really know something about. Right. And let's just get back to Meghan Markle. Again, I'm, I want to just reiterate, if Meghan Markle wanted to talk to any kind of a counselor, we certainly, not only is it a right, we approve of that. It's a self-initiated program. She, according to her on over, that didn't happen. She wasn't allowed to do that, which is wrong. She didn't do that, but what did she do? She sat down with her husband. I, we talked about the fact that she made a plan for going forward to get out of a situation. And that forced her, I mean, her husband is the son, the grandson of the queen of England. So he's got, he's carrying a little bit more in his backpack. So she's gonna have to have a conversation if she's planning on leaving the Royal house She's going to have to work it through with Tari. And apparently that happened. They went together to the United States um, as a unit. They seem to be highly supportive. Uh, you know, that took a lot of emotional and family work that we're just reading about in the newspapers. He's got a brother, William, and he's, he loves his grandmother. He said that, Harry. He doesn't want to say anything bad about his grandmother. But he's got a wife and a child, and she's pregnant, and she was suicidal. So he has to be on board uh, with in formulating and conducting a new plan, which happened. So, as I said, we offer a mental health service. It's not specifically for suicide. We don't advertise it as such. It's a forward planning kind of a service, the life process program, where we work to help people enhance their ability to cope with their situations. Um, so we're not telling people not to seek mental health services, but fundamentally where, to get back to the big picture, the United States is going wrong and leading probably the rest of the world the wrong way, is the concept that professionalized, abstract, detached, services are the best way to address basic human problems is a misapprehension. And at the individual level, what we're saying, it, it's risky, it's scary, it's scary and risky at times. It's, and I really liked your story about, you know, you're sort of thinking, huh, am I doing the right thing? Am I at what risk? And, you know, if you're a harm reduction therapist dealing with drugs and other issues, these issues come up all the time, but this is a person talking to me in a frank way. How can I help them to reduce the risk of the worst outcomes and reduce the risk for me as a helper? And it involves in the most fundamental way being here and now. And in your case, you know, then they're going to leave you and do what? It's allowing them to explore their own options. Meghan Markle changed her life. I mean, you can't change your life more than moving to another country, leaving the royal family and getting into all other life. And um, obviously sometimes a smaller change is what's required and the person's gonna to have to make the change, but your job is to help them think through that change, not to go to some external source to export that concern. Let me, uh, hand, I think I'm just reflecting at this point, but let me hand you some of those threads and maybe you'll tie them up at the end. 
you open sort of talking about like as per Ben Carey, we have this elephant in the room where more and more people are anxious, more and more people are depressed, more and more people are committing suicide. Uh, and so we say it's almost like the easiest thing to do when people go out and put on a sign and the stigma, like, oh, I feel so like I'm empowering people now and I'm doing the right thing. Uh, but the thing is, we're awash in medication more than ever before. Uh, more medication than ever, more people, you know, this opposite trend, opposite charts or opposite directions are being pointed on the chart. And so the idea that end the stigma, get medicated, get medical treatment is the solution is at least at the very least not the, complete, the, not, not, the whole, not the whole story right exactly and so now you gave a practical story because it's on the news right now it's all of the news that someone in the royal family was able to ameliorate that problem in the practical way that we talk about and it's not just it's nice to have a story because that contextualizes it but you know we can point people back to the data and the cdc guidelines which completely agree with us. It's like, why are we not, for some reason, our outcomes, our preferred outcomes or our goals and standards don't have anything to do with those guidelines. And everyone is just sort of okay with it all at the same time. We're going in the wrong direction by the, the large epidemiological data, by the clinical data summarized by CDC. And we continue to rush headlong in that direction. So we wanted to offer, a, we're not doing well. And, and nobody thinks we're doing well. Yeah. Well, of course, this is the pandemic now. And we can blame a lot of it on that. We weren't doing well going into the pandemic. Uh, uh, Kate Spade killed herself before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, as as did my brother, obviously. Um, uh, we're not, but nobody feels now or previously that America is in a good mental health situation. Nobody's under that misapprehension. And of course, we can just, uh, uh, the CDC has just released preliminary 2020 drug deaths data, 83,000, all-time record, 16,000 more deaths than in, in 2018. I mean, it's, you know, it's wildly accelerating. So let me give one last news item that I want to share with you. Washington Monthly published an article by, uh, in my memoir, I was just thinking of writing both of them an email. John Kelly and Sally Sotelo, two people I discuss in my memoir. Uh, John Kelly has just published a study in addiction and Washington Monthly published an article. And what the article says is, when people believe that they have a disease of addiction, it does relieve some of the stress. However, it has two major impacts. People are more likely to separate themselves from that person, to see them as being outside and alienated from them. It alienates people from their community and from others. And it makes both those people and the person themselves less likely to feel that they have a chance of improving. So, you know, I was wondering, I thought about writing Sally and John an email and saying, is there anybody in the world more associated with that idea that the self-conceptualization that results from the disease theory has ultimately destructive effects than me? You know, I just I actually want to know what they think about that. And of course, 
we say that same thing together in Outgrowing Addiction. And in a way, it's almost the theme of my memoir. You know, who could be against calling addiction a disease that happens to you, as opposed to, to a way of coping with life and how you identify yourself? Who could, and here's, that's the reason, look up Sally, John Kelly and Sally Sattel um, in the Washington Monthly and, and look at our suicide rates. So who's the guy that I did? I, I, this is so stupid because I, I know his name. Uh, I did the panel with Sally and the guy from Penn. He's a law, law guy in psychology. He did the he did the amicus brief with Sally. Oh, he's, his name's not. Is it not Morse? Is it M O R S? Yes, 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 yes. Oh man, cut all that out. But uh, he someone asked in the crowd, you know, if if uh, maybe addiction maybe addiction's not a disease, but you know, if it helps people get into our treatment system and drug courts. Who really cares? And I remember getting, I don't know what it actually looked like, but I remember getting so tensed up and starting to answer that question and going into it with sort of a, like I had had it at that point kind of a thing that he interjected in his nice calm way and, you know, gave a response that probably didn't exactly fulfill. Well, Morrison Sattel took the position in that, uh, the Massachusetts Supreme Court case that it was good to get people in treatment and threatening yeah, yeah. them with jail was good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you and uh, you and I are out on a strange pinnacle. We're saying, well, don't put people in jail and don't force them into treatment, um, which is what's happening with the uh, with the Oregon decriminalization thing. Yeah. Um, allow people well, to use drugs and uh, to permit them to get drugs. Carl was saying that in a form that's not harmful to them. But we're talking in a bigger, broader perspective of allowing society to be and individual counselors to be supportive of them so that they work in their own best interest. Well put. Well, all right. So um, I don't know. We weren't invited to write to the Washington Monthly. and uh, But I like to think that somehow our ideas and my ideas are spreading They've even reached John Kelly and Sally Sattel because John Kelly's a great AA booster, which is all disease. Mm -hmm. It's almost like he did this study and said, oh, my God, there's a downside to the disease. Right, right, right. All right, Zach, all carry right. on. Well, well look, I, I, could, I should say this. I like the way that we're going with this. We're, we bring up things that aren't working, but then we offer some sort of solution to it and something that could work and that we know from uh, you know just our experiences but also what data tell us would work so let's keep the thread open and if anybody and you has also questions... i thought that little story you told i know you were a little nervous because you were in a life and death you were nervous talking about it mm. and you were nervous in the situation because it's potentially life and death and you know i want to commend your bravery in bringing it up here and your bravery in the situation by just calming yourself down enough to be a human being and you know I, I hate to sound like almost spiritual but say if you can manage to be a human being with a person with a problem that's the best thing you can do with them so if people want to more on this and they feel like you know we did some sort of an incomplete job or they just want to know more they can of course buy our book outgrowing addiction um or visit the life process program where we have a ton of resources that point that direction we have an article and filter that was actually taken from the book about suicide 
and if, please ask questions and we'll respond to those and keep that. And we have other coaches in life process program and every one of them, what we're saying, they all understand. Hmm. All right, Zach, have a happy Sunday and uh, carry on and we'll uh, meet again next week. Thanks so much, Stanton. Take care. Thank you.